Uh, we're all the way to Revelation chapter 18. Now, uh, once again, when we're approaching the book of Revelation, we need to understand and know that our goal is to see what the writer, John, is seeing. He's giving us glimpses. He's giving us images and pictures that he's describing, and he's describing it through the language of the Old Testament. Okay, so there's been a lot of crossover uh, as far as uh, Old Testament uh, prophecy uh, and scripture, and, and he's seen what they were seeing, and so he's describing it to us, okay? Uh, and in particular, so he's written this book to these seven historical churches, um, and so it's to them, but it's for us today, okay? In fact, throughout the book of Revelation, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear, all right? So this is something that all of us need to know to understand, and ultimately, uh, it is a, a image of the glorified Christ and what he not only is doing, but what he is going to do. And so we're all the way to Revelation 18. We have been walking through difficult judgments, Amen. Right? Yeah, there's no way you're just like, oh, that was soft. That wasn't a big deal. But like we've been walking through some really difficult, challenging uh, texts in scripture that often people avoid. They don't even want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. Um, and so we've been walking through it and we're all the way to Revelation 18. Now, before we start reading Revelation 18, it's going to be really tough for you to follow along if you're not familiar at all with what we talked about like last week in Revelation 17. And in Revelation 17, we, we saw that this world system, and when I say world system, it's a system that is in opposition to God, okay? And it's labeled, it's got a name, Babylon, okay? So when I use the term Babylon, you need to know that that is the world system working in opposition to God. There's also a term that we see for it uh, in chapter 17, and it's a term, once again, if you have little ones in here, you just need to know you got some explaining to do, okay? Um, and, and essentially what the term was is he called Babylon the great prostitute. Now, why did he use language like that? Well, the people of God, Jesus' followers, um, are called the bride of Christ. We see the symbolism, this imagery all throughout scripture where, where God has been preparing a bride for his son, Jesus, and Jesus is the bridegroom who is coming back for his bride. Now, as, as you and I, if we're Jesus followers, as we embrace this role as, as the bride awaiting the bridegroom, we are tasked with what? Staying faithful to the bridegroom and, 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 and waiting in anticipation for him uh, to come, right? And, and to get us. And so this world system, Babylon, and, and how it's being spoken of as this great prostitute, it is trying to seduce us away from being faithful to the bridegroom, okay? And, and so it's working to pull our hearts away from allegiance to Christ, and so that's the system at work here. And so uh, in, in Revelation chapter 18, let's start with verses one through five. Uh, and it says this, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth 
have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Okay, so let's just stop right there, right? So, so John, once again, we're trying to understand and get a picture of what he's seen. He, he's seen this other angel uh, coming from heaven who has great authority, it says. In fact, the earth was illuminated by the glory of this uh, angel. And this angel calls out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Okay, in other words, this, this proud and evil worldly system is finished. Now, now, this is a future event, but I love how it talks about it in a past tense. Why? Because its judgment is certain. Who's delivering the judgment? The almighty, powerful God, all right? Our, our Lord and Savior. And so, and so this is, although it has yet to come, he's saying, oh, it's already happened. Judgment is coming, uh, and, and so we get a picture even of the, the desolation that takes place. In fact, it's using Old Testament imagery here as it talks about the desolation that takes place uh, in uh, Babylon, essentially. And, and we see that similar language coming from Isaiah chapter 13. But what we, what we read once again is the nations, the kings, uh, the merchants, literally everybody, uh, they have willingly chosen to commit this. And when it talks about uh, spiritual um, or sexual uh, immorality here with Babylon, it's talking about spiritual adultery or idolatry. Okay, in other words, it's uh, being unfaithful spiritually to our Savior. And so these are individuals who have chosen to commit uh, spiritual adultery in order to gain something from the system, right? They were gaining prosperity, notoriety, wealth, position, authority, all of these things, right? That, that, that the world promotes that says, hey, you'll arrive if you get this. These are all the people that have benefited from uh, that. These are the people that have been seduced by this way of living uh, and this lifestyle and have ultimately fallen into the trap of seeing these temporary idols and giving them the place of authority that only should be given to God. And we see then another voice from heaven calls his people to come out of Babylon so they won't be seduced into living like her and then therefore being judged as she's going to be judged. Now, once again, you guys, we see this, this incredible mercy and grace of God, don't we? Like even in the midst of this, right? Once again, he says, this is, this is what's gonna happen to this world system, don't be seduced by it. In fact, all these world leaders, all of these uh, main movers and shakers in business, all of these people are gonna fall in line with it. Don't do it, get out of it. Or, or not only um, are you going to fall into the very sins and sin is anything in opposition to the will and the way of God, not only are you gonna fall into that, but you're also going to be judged with her according to that. 
And so once again, we see like, like incredible grace as God is pleading with us. Like, like even as you hear this voice, um, there's urgency to this voice, isn't there? And there's urgency because the warning is flee this world system before it's too late. There's gonna be a point where it's too late. And so the question you and I have to ask, the question uh, these Jesus followers had to ask as this is being read publicly in their churches is, so how do we do that? Right, how do we do that? In fact, uh, we look at this today and you guys, when we're talking about Babylon, you're missing it if, if you're like, oh, this distant future thing. No, we are in Babylon right now. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, like right now, our, the, the world system that we live in, that we occupy, it is post-Christian, even locally here, and it is in opposition to who God is and his will for your life. And so you need to know, the question isn't, how am I gonna handle this future Babylon? The question is, what are you gonna do today? Because we're in Babylon. Okay, like, like it's not a distant thing, we're in it. And so we've got to ask, well, what do we do? Like, how do we respond? Because I don't know about you, Babylon's everywhere, right? It's not like, like it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go home. Like, no, I go home, there's Babylon, right? Like, it's everywhere. I'm not going to go, like, you, it's everywhere you go. And so are we supposed to be like the Essenes in the second century who all moved out to the desert and like just got away from everybody? Or maybe during the medieval period, like, like we'll be the, the monks that go into the monasteries and just separate ourselves. Or maybe more applicable, we'll just join the Amish, right? We'll go out way deep in the country. Now, if you live in the country, good for you. God bless you. I'm glad you've got the land, all right? So I'm not hating on you if you got land. I'm actually envious of you, right? My brother's got this farm and I'm like, dude, this is crazy. You just drive and you're like still there, you know? Um, so that's awesome for you. But... There is a posture sometimes that spiritually we have attached to that to where, oh, if I just live like, like the Amish and avoid all technology and all of this and I'm out here separated from uh, Babylon, everything's going to work out for me. I don't think so. I don't think so. See, this is going to require far more than a change of your address. What this is going to require is a change of heart. It's going, to, it's going to require a change in our affections, a change in our desires, isn't it? It means that we have to figure out how to physically live in Babylon while still being spiritual citizens of the new Jerusalem, which we're going to read about soon. We're going to have to figure out what it means to refuse to make our spiritual home here. And, and Jesus, Jesus talked about this a lot. In fact, in John chapter 17, uh, verses 14 through 16, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
So he brings us to this critical question, right? What does it mean? What does it look like to be in the world, but not out of the world? Because he's very clear, like if he wanted us out of the world, what would he do? Snap his fingers, goodbye, right? Well, he hasn't done that. Okay, we're still here. So there's actual, there's a, there's a purpose for me being here. There's a plan for me being here. And so I have to identify what does it mean uh, to live and to work and, and, to, and to love as Jesus did while still being present in the midst of a system that is in opposition to him. And, and, and guys, so what it comes down to is this. We're not, this is not a call to separatism. It's a call to distinctiveness. In other words, it's asking less, what am I against? What am I against? What am I against? It's them, it's them. And it's more so asking, what am I for? What am I for? What, 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 is, what am I in pursuit of, Right? Because um, when you look at Jesus's life, when you look at uh, the apostles and as the gospel exploded on the scene and churches are starting, you do not see a people that, that separated themselves from culture, right? You saw a people that moved and interacted within culture with a distinctiveness. There was something very different, wasn't there? And, and so that's what we're called uh, to do. We're not called to just run from uh, culture. And what does this mean though? What does this mean for us? If we're going to live in, in, this, in this culture that's working against you following uh, Jesus, right? Um, well, one, to go back to this whole imagery of the bridegroom and the bride, it means I have to do a better job at resisting the seductive nature of all of the advertising that's flooding me. Okay, like you and I, like no other human beings on the planet, right? Are, we're, we're facing more just, just straight up advertisements from the world than in, than in any other time period in the history of humanity. Okay, on the conservative side, you're getting 4,000 advertisements a day. If you're touching social media, you're up to 10. Okay, and some of you more than touch social media. Yeah. And so we've got all of this, like, like guys, how crazy is it? That, that, that's like, it's, non, it's a nonstop assault on you, nonstop. And then some of us on top of it, we like sign up so that we can be advertised to more, right? We're like, oh, I like that one, boom. They're like, great, we're gonna just, can you, every time you check out right now at a store, can you sign up for this? Like the, you know, I'm like, no because I don't want you to keep sending me stuff, right? But some of us, we sign up for that. And so we keep getting it more and more and it keeps coming at us. And we're like, man, what do I do with this? And so we have to ask, how are we resisting um, being overwhelmed with all that is, that is, because you can say, oh, it's not bothering me. But if you continue to allow it into your mind uh, into your, and I'll say even into your eyes, really, you are going to find yourself dwelling on it, thinking about it, and those images are gonna go away. And so we've gotta ask, like, how are we identifying those things? How are, we, how are we guarding ourselves from that? And then also, how are we starving the greed that the world is gonna try and push on you? Which is essentially, you need more. 
And once you've got more, you need more of that, right? There, there's a nonstop flooding of more that you're supposed to have in order to be happy. And that is so difficult. Uh, so we have to ask, how do we fight this? And, and I think, you know, once again, uh, when it comes to our relationship with the bridegroom, with Jesus, if, if that's the bridegroom and, and I find my, and, I, and I'm focused on him. And as I live here, I'm like, God, you've placed me here. You've called me here, but I'm going to live for you. I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to wait uh, for you. What I have to, to look at is, is I got to look at the, the, the things in my life that are seducing me away from faithful allegiance to him. Um, I had a friend who was in a relationship. It was toxic. It was unhealthy. And, and, and I remember very distinctly, he's like, he's like, man, I, I'm, we broke it off. I just can't, I keep falling back into that relationship and all this. I don't know what to do. And I, and I, I remember I just said, is there a number in your phone? Well, yeah. I said, get it out. Like, get the number out. Really? Yeah, you cannot handle that number being in your phone. Clearly, right? And then, and, then, and then it was like, I remember the conversation. Well, we're just friends. And I'm like, that's a lie. That doesn't even exist. Like, bud, that's not even a real thing. People say that, but it's not real. You cannot be just friends, right? This is a situation that you need to, to draw some lines here and make a commitment because it's pulling you back in, Okay. And, and, and also, I hate to tell you this, but you need to think about like where you're interacting because you guys keep just randomly bumping into each other. That's not helpful. And, 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 I, and I take that and, and, I, and I talk about that in honestly kind of a funny way, but for some of us, we're like, oh, that was me. Um, but we have to take this same mindset and mentality to guarding our hearts and our faithfulness to the bridegroom. So there's numbers, and I'm not talking about like physical numbers, but there's a mentality of, 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 of these things that we're allowing to continue to come into our life, and you are attracted to it. It does something for you. It affirms something. It, 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 it fills a gap that you believe you have. And so just like my buddy who I'm like, dude, you've got to stop. Like there is no just friends. You guys, the, the enemy, Satan, he wants you to think that you and him can just be friends. He wants you to think like, like it's gonna be okay. This is harmless, no big deal. And yet we know that his goal is to ultimately destroy you. Destroy God's plan for your life. Destroy what God wants to do for this limited time that you have here on this earth. He wants to take that away. And so you guys, we've got to identify, and I'm not gonna go down the list of all the things culturally that could be this for you. But I'm gonna tell you right now, you've gotta really, you know, to, to steal a, a, a dating seminar term, you've gotta define the relationship with Jesus that you wanna have. You need to define it. Because what we're allowing is the world to define it. And the world is gonna do everything it can to pull you away from that. And, and, and so I can't stress this enough that you and I, we have to ask once again, not what does it mean for me to just separate completely from culture, but what does it look like to guard my heart, my mind from, from what is drawing me away from him? 
And that, that's, a, that's a thought, you guys, that we can't, we can't have that thought enough. We need to be thinking about that. Like the, this whole idea that oh, I, can, I can get this from the world and, and, I can, you know, and I can have this joy here and this and this um, and still be faithful to God. Like that is just uh, a lie. And it's like in chapter 18, John is like trying to just slap us in the head and be like, wake up. You cannot play with this. It seems harmless. You feel like it's not a big deal, but listen, Look what happens next. If you fail to flee, you fall into the sin. As a byproduct of that, you're part of the judgment. Stay with her. You'll suffer with her. And guys, it's not like God is just disconnected, right? And and distanced from what's going on. In fact, uh, what do we see? We see... The sins of Babylon, it says, is piled up to heaven. It's piled up. So God is very aware of who's doing what and how it's happening. And he promises, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with this world system. Uh, In verse 6, it says, pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Now once again, he's talking about Babylon, this world system, right? Uh, that, that is trying to seduce away um, Jesus' followers and all of uh, humanity. And, and what we see here is that God promises to deal with them. He says, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going I'm to pay back that wicked, evil system for what it's done. And, and when it says double for one's deeds here, that's an Old Testament idiom. And it just means uh, pay back in full measure. Okay, in fact, we see in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, actually, at one point, he's mad, and he says, uh, I pray a double destruction on them, which is essentially, I pray for the full and, and maximum punishment that is available. Now, what we see, though, here is uh, the nature and the heart and the root of Babylon and this world system. It says what? That she glorified herself. She glorified herself and, and, and talks about she lived in luxury and even claimed, declared in her heart, I sit as a queen, right? I, I'm not a widow. I, I will never see grief. Uh, and in other words, what Babylon, this system that the enemy is leading, what, what it's declaring is I'm never going to lose power. And people are seduced into that. It's never going to lose its power. Uh, She says, I'm never going to lose affection. In other words, people are always going to want me. They're always going to want what I have to offer. And then lastly, it's essentially, I will never lose. I will never lose. And this is so similar to ancient Babylon's boast in Isaiah 47. In fact, in Isaiah 47, uh, verses 7, 7 and 8, look what it says. It says, You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me, 
I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. You guys, over and over again, it's, it's like God is like, do you see the root of this? Babylon is being judged because of its boast. It's boast. Right? And, and one day it's describing the, the plagues of death, grief, famine, burnt up. What is the cause of this? It's pride. Pride. It's unavoidable here. It's pride. This was, as I was studying, it was just like, oh my goodness, there it is. I mean, you guys, you, you need to know that uh, God is very clear how he feels about pride. Proverbs 16, 18, he, he says, pride goes before destruction, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And, and in Proverbs 8, 13, uh, he says, I hate it. I hate pride. We, we have a rule at our house. Don't say I hate. But they say I hate pride, you're good. Okay, you can hate that. God hates that. Good, all right? But he hates it. Now, what, what is pride? What, you guys, pride is disobedience to God's most important command. It's what it is at its core, right? It, it, it's disobedience to that great command to love him above all else, isn't it? To love him above all else. And then secondly, what is to love your neighbor as yourself? Pride is disobedience at its core to that because it's elevating you to that status. And as you elevate you to this place that only God should occupy, what do you also do with everyone else? You compare and you look down on them. And, and guys, this has been our problem. This is the root of our problem, of our sin. It's been that way since the garden. Remember in Genesis 3, 5, uh, what, what the enemy tried to do with Adam and Eve? It says, for God, this is what Satan's saying, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And then here's the line. You will be like God. And you will be like God. Now that sounds really good. Right? I'm going to know right and wrong for myself. I'm going to be able to decide what's best for me and know the direction and the purpose of my life and why everything is the way it is. I tell you what, sign me up for that. I'll eat that fruit. Right? That's what he, and guys, that's what he's selling, right? He's selling uh, this idea that you can be like God. And that's at the core of this. Pride is the attempt to elevate myself to the level of God. And, and, and it's the devil's greatest lie. His greatest lie is you don't need God, you don't need him. I heard it once said that our sinful nature manifests itself in three ways, self-reliance, self-centeredness, and self-condemnation. What do all those things have in common? Self and the elevation of me. See, pride, once again, it hijacks the focus. It hijacks me from, God, you're in that seat. It hijacks me from looking at my neighbors and going, man, you need Jesus. I need to love you like Christ calls me to love you. I need to love you as myself versus you. I'm in competition with you. And you guys, when we let pride take over, it will destroy your ability to appreciate any, anything of God. Because what happens is anything that happens, you give yourself credit for it. 
any accomplishment that comes your way, what, you earned it, I deserved it, I worked my way here, I am the reason this has happened. And you guys, at the root of why these kings, these merchants, all these people, all the nations fall in line here is is what? The pride uh, that we see Babylon selling, it's connected to the immediate wealth and power and the luxurious life they were given. Okay, so, so you cannot separate uh, that, that literally they're falling in line with Babylon because the message of Babylon is, is what? You can have more and you can have the best right now. And it's gonna provide and give you this platform, all these items, all these things. It's gonna make you happy. And for you and I, what's worse is all these advertisements are gonna flood you into seeing everybody else who's figured it out, who's good looking, whose body's perfect, whose marriage is perfect, whose kids just love them and wanna sit on their lap and read. All these things, right? And in Christian culture, here's what we hear in Christian culture. Oh my goodness, well, you don't just pray over your wife every night like I do, or you don't get up every day, seven days a week at 4.30 and just spend an hour alone with God? I'm like, no, I don't. And I don't know anyone else who does, okay? Now, some of you are like, oh, I do that. No, you don't. Stop it. This is a real and authentic church, Okay? We own where we're at. We own where we're not at, you guys. But, but here's the reality. Pride even comes into the church and manifests itself in me looking and caring about you versus me being faithful to the bridegroom. And that's it. That's all I should be caring about. I should not come in here going, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what's going on in their business. No, he's it. He's it. And anytime it becomes about this, you guys, Pride is there and Satan is like, there we go. There we go. And anything that that you're falling in line with and going, oh, this is gonna deliver for me today at the expense of the eternal tomorrow. We got a problem, you guys. And and Jesus talked about this as these people uh, were continuing to make profit off of people and and, and for themselves. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 6, 19 and 20 through 21, look what he says. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, and this cuts deep. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where my treasure is, what I'm viewing as my treasure and what I'm placing my hope, my trust, my desires in. And they were doing it with wealth, physical wealth, prestige, position, power. It says, that's where your heart's at. And that's a question we have to wrestle with today. Because what he's saying here is, is on the day when Babylon's judgment happens. Everyone who's made their home there, their fortune there, finds their identity and their purpose and their meaning in that. They're going to lose everything that they thought would make them happy, would give them security, and gave their life meaning. And they're going to lose it all. And then he says, in verse 9, it says, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear for torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, 
fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmakers and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. So all the kings, all the rulers, all the people in the power positions, and then it trickles down, right? All, all the merchants, all the people that have done really well, that have been successful in business, uh, and, and it continues down to all the shipping, all uh, of, of the sea travel, and all of those things. Uh, and, and, and what do we see? We see all of them standing back in fear, as they watch, wailing, weeping, the destruction of the world system that gave them all of their wealth, their power, and their prestige, all the luxuries that they had. Why are they, why are they standing back in, in fear of the torment? Because there's no way that that torment is going to be disconnected from them. Because that's been everything to them. And so they stand back. And they're just wailing. Everything. It's given them success. It's given them identity, purpose, love, all those things. Gone. These are the, and, and it literally in verses 12 and 13 lists just all these things that you and I today go, I don't even get why that's there. These were the things. These were the things that delivered that status, that delivered their desires, right? Like, like this is the longings of uh, their, their heart, right? It says the fruit that they long for is all, is all gone. All of the, the delicacies, their collections, their fine clothes, their bank accounts, right? Their, their stock portfolios, their investment properties, their insurance policies, all those things that they're like, we're good. Nothing's gonna mess with this because once again, the nature of Babylon, the world system says, yeah, this is good. You're good. It's never going away. You're going fine. Everything's going to work. But all of a sudden, everything, as far as the world's wealth is concerned, is going to go out the window. I mean, this is going to be financial chaos. Okay? And, and, and so we see this, this happening. And so all these people who have gained power and authority by, by falling into this lie, they're standing back in fear, knowing they can't disconnect the pain from how they're going to experience it. And they're just like, I can't believe it. This great city, everything it promised, all of that, there was nothing like it, and now it's gone. Once again, they're surprised, right? Surprised they didn't see it coming. And then in verse 20, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. 
Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on earth. Uh, This pastor, Adrian Rogers, used to say, we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And if it's true worship, true worship will make us more like God. Have you ever thought about that? Who or what you're becoming reveals who and what you're worshiping. And as a result, if, if God, if we love God, we're going to love what he loves and we're going to hate what he hates. And he hates this world system. And so when you see that, that, that literally this call to rejoice with all the saints and, and in heaven and, and all the prophets like rejoice in the judgment, you need to understand where that's coming from. This isn't joy from like, oh, yay, they're all being eternally sent to hell. Yay, let's all clap it up. Like, no, what you need to understand and hear is the joy comes from the bridegroom is finally dealing with the very thing that was attacking his bride, right? He is finally putting an end to the very thing that had continuously tortured and gone after his bride. Guys, I don't care who you are. Every single person in here would say, you better defend your bride. And so in this moment, what are we worshiping? What are we praising God for? That the bridegroom is protecting his bride once and for all. This is the answer. This is the response to the saints' cries, the ones who had lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. Remember in Revelation 6.10, where it said, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who will dwell on the earth? And, And so what we're rejoicing about here, you guys, isn't over these eternal deaths. We mourn over that. What we're rejoicing at is the perfect justice from a righteous and holy God on behalf of his bride. It's justice. And a mighty angel appears for the third time and throws this large millstone into the sea and plunges to the bottom, never to be seen again. And it's the sign of Babylon's judgment. And what do we see here? I'll tell you what. We see the music, the dancing. It stops. There is an eerie silence that covers the fallen world. People, the craftsmen, they stop. The sound of the mill and the everyday sounds of just work happening. It ends. The economy has collapsed. There's no more parties. It says no one's getting married. There's no more weddings. Babylon's light is gone. She will never shine again. It's all dark. Why will her merchants, the the people of influence, the nations, they followed her with arrogance and pride and they were deceived by her. And then it says, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints. I'm reminded how in the Old Testament, when Cain killed his brother Abel, 
It says Abel's blood cried out. And God heard that. The blood of the saints has cried out and God hears it. And so he's going to deliver justice. And the guilt of Babylon for what it's done, he hears that as well. And a perfect and holy God will also execute judgment. So we see that here, you guys. And, and, and what it ultimately leads to is a world that promised so much, but in the end, it didn't deliver. And, and, and what's the, man, you guys, what's the encouragement for us? We need to be reminded that this is, this is what Scripture tells us. In fact, the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, uh, wrote one of the most depressing books of all time, Ecclesiastes. And and, and, and throughout, what, what does he talk about? When he talks about the earth, vanity after vanity after vanity, right? He talks about, it's like grasping after the wind. Try catching the wind. That's what it's like. And so, and so it's over and over again, it's warning us to not make this the point that, that yeah, you're called to live in the world, but you cannot be of the world. This cannot be your spiritual home, your spiritual destination. And it's gonna come down to this. What are you gonna choose to worship? What will you choose to worship this morning? Because what we're becoming is revealing what we're worshiping. And guys, the world in itself is going to try to seduce you away from the bridegroom. And, and here's what you need to know. And my answer to this has probably changed in the last six years. Because I would have said historically, he's gonna try and, 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 and seduce you with this whole more and more and more. But you know what I think now when I, when I look at what, we're falling into is the lie that you should be the God of your life. That's what's being pushed. More and more, it's not about what you can accrue. It's more, you should be God of you. And that sounds good. Once again, just like in Genesis, right? Who knows better than what you need than you? Who knows more what's gonna fulfill the desires of your heart than, than you? And so the world is gonna absolutely flood you with all of the reasons why you should be leading you and how happy you'll be and successful and how life's gonna work out if you just get your way. And, and that can mean whatever, uh, that can mean whatever you want. You guys, the beginning of the gospel message starts with you're not good enough. It begins with, you can't get there on your own. And so the world system right now is trying to say, no, 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 you can. And so we have to know and understand that that is gonna operate against us. And we have to determine that once again, we are gonna be faithful to the bridegroom and we are going to eagerly anticipate his return. And when he finds us, man, we're just exiles here. This isn't our spiritual home. Our spiritual home's with him. Amen? Let's pray.